I would love to raise that topic in the air of invitation. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever received an amazing invitation. When I think about invitations, my head goes back to when we were planning our wedding and sending out invitations. For some reason, it was like a really big thing to post them. I think we got a photo of us at the post box putting them in, that kind of thing. Um, has anybody been invited to anything particularly magical, particularly amazing? Uh, my dad once got an invite to uh, a garden party at Buckingham Palace. Unfortunately, it was the COVID year, so they cancelled it. Um, so he never got to go. Um, but has anybody has anybody been anywhere fun? Anybody anybody been to Buckingham Palace? Anybody been on in the Oh come on. Janice, tell us. Yeah, I went to the garden party at Buckingham Palace and saw the Queen. Wow, I'm, I'm slightly jealous. That is a special invite indeed. Um, and to be honest, talking about royalty, I remember at the coronation, one of the talking points was who's invited to the coronation. And you, you could see like, the, you know, the, all of a sudden they'd be looking at um, Archbishop looking very, very, very fancy. And then they'd switch to like Anton Deck, who was just sort of like looking like, it's, you know, it's a very strange invite. Who got the invite to the coronation party? I don't know who set up that list, but I'm sure it was very important. Um, and then the woman with the sword, and who knows. Anyway, um, but it was probably an incredible... Could you imagine that feeling? I've been invited to the coronation. There was once-in-a-lifetime event um, that they could go to. And it, they must have been ecstatic. I'm sure, Janice, you were ecstatic when you found out you were going to go to this garden party. How incredible to get that through your door. And, you know, when I, when I receive an invite to a wedding, similarly, I get pretty excited about, oh, so great, I can't wait to go, I can't wait to celebrate... And I, I believe that there's something about a fantastic, amazing invite that is part of the Christian story and the gospel. And we've just read about Jesus inviting some followers. He says, follow me, an invite to come and follow him. But later on and, and throughout scripture, we see lots of different utterances of Jesus saying, come and follow me in lots of different ways. And particularly this one stands out to me in John chapter 7. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. We see in Scripture that Jesus is calling us, inviting us to experience something of him, a relationship with God, to have his spirit within us, to quench our spiritual thirsts and hungers. And that is the overall call that we respond to, the overall invite, that we can be filled with him, that our spiritual hunger can be met in Jesus. But I would love to think today, what does it mean for us to have that idea of invitation, to have that as a part of our culture, as an invitational culture at church, that we would invite others uh, in, in all sorts of things, but especially into what God has in store for us. And as we're looking at Nathaniel um, in, in John's Gospel, you may or may not be familiar with Nathaniel. Um, he isn't actually mentioned at any other point um, in, in the Gospel. But So people think that he was probably Bartholomew. He maybe had two names or something like that. Um, but he's one of the disciples. And I love this story because it's the story of somebody who is originally very sceptical of God, very sceptical of who Jesus is. And they go within this story from being sceptical to someone who believes. And it all starts with these three words 
in verse 46. Come and see. Come and see. That's the invite um, that Bartholomew's cousin, Philip, says to him. Come and see what's going on. Now, um, you may have heard my testimony before, so apologies if you have. Um, but I grew up as a, uh, as a Catholic, actually. I was in the, as a Catholic church. I was a Catholic primary school. And I'm fairly certain that quite early on in my life, I decided I don't believe this stuff. I don't believe what I'm being told here. Uh, and I felt that actually faith and religion was something to make me feel guilty about the things I'd done. I remember going to confession and having to like rack my brains of things that I'd done wrong. And, and I remember saying, I remember always writing down, I shouldn't have punched my sister. Um, I put that down pretty much every time. And it was, you know, it's been a year since I was forced to come to confession again and all that kind of thing. And, and I, but I remember leaving there just feeling more guilt rather than absolution, rather than feeling free. And I think maybe that was something in my head rather than anything anybody else was saying, but I didn't feel like religion was for me. I I thought it was about controlling my behavior. Um, and, and to some extent, it was used for that in lots of different ways. So it was a little bit disappointing. But then when I was about 17, 18, and I considered myself an atheist at this point, I remember my, I went, had to go into hospital once I had a knee operation, and my mum was shocked that I didn't want to see the Catholic, uh, Catholic chaplain. I was like, no, I, I don't believe any of that. Um, but I, so I considered myself an atheist at this point. And my friend, Chris, who is a, a newish friend, but a good friend, um, he had just been to New Wine uh, in the summer, and he'd just had a sort of revitalization of his faith. He'd, he'd started going to church, this local church called St. Matthew's in Warsaw, where I'm from in the West Midlands. And um, there was this sort of fresh expression called Churchill Praise. It was like an evening thing. It wasn't like flashy and huge and there wasn't, you know, smoke machines or anything like that. It was just some, you know, really just lovely people um, who believed and had a faith that you could understand. And so I went along to this thing and I just thought, you know what? Maybe I will. Now, the invitation that Chris gave me was something like this. Oh, um, oh yeah, by the way, uh, we've got this um, thing at church, and it's like, it's called like Back to Church Sunday or something. I, yeah, I don't know what it's going to be like. It's for people who used to go to church, and we invite them now to come back to church. And because he knew that I grew up in the Catholic church, he was like, come back to church. It's the most Anglican thing I could possibly think of, um, was just sort of saying, oh, yeah, Back to Church Sunday. Anyway, so we had it. It was in September. And I remember going along, and... And it was just different. I was like, well, I'll just give it a go. I'll try. I'll open myself up. And I must admit, I was pretty cynical before that. But because he, my friend, had said it, I thought, actually, I'm going to honour him in that. And I'm going to go because he, he thinks it's important. So I'll check it out. Um, so, and then, you know, a few years down the line, I'm a vicar in a church. But I, I'd love to know, has anybody else invited anybody to church at any point in their life? Put a hand up if you invited anyone to church. It doesn't mean they have to have come. So, like, if you invited anybody, and they, they might have said no, um, that, which is absolutely fine. They don't invite anybody. Well, we did a survey a few weeks ago uh, at Concord, and we're going to be dripping some of the um, some of the results into the next sermon series over the next few weeks. Um, but one of the things that I was really encouraged by in the survey is we asked this question: How comfortable would you be at inviting somebody to Concord Church or to Alpha? Those are the two things that we mentioned. And apart from I think maybe it must have been about one person. Pretty much everyone said they were at least slightly comfortable inviting people to church. But the majority said they were moderately or very comfortable inviting people to church. In fact, I think it was 98% of people said they were at least slightly comfortable to invite people to church. And so if you're slightly comfortable, I'm so sorry, we'll try and work harder to make it more of an atmosphere that might feel uh, that you can invite people. Um, but 
I, I, I think there are a few barriers in society for us to talk about faith, to talk about uh, life in, in, in a Christian life, because there is so much in the world that makes us think that we can't talk about these kind of things. And so when we when we when we raise that topic of oh, would you like to come to church? I I love Chris because he he really stepped out, bless him, uh, to invite somebody to church. It it makes makes yourself very vulnerable. It almost feels like it's embarrassing to to do that to say oh yeah I've got this thing that no one ever talks about, but I want you to come. Why not have a little look? And. You know, there used to be this comment, isn't there, that you, you, there's two things you never talk about, religion and politics. Um, but I feel like we talk about politics quite a lot now, so it's time to get religion back on the table. Um, and I think the reason, there's two things that I think happens when you go to, you think about asking someone, but then you, you chicken out, you bottle it. The first is, I think they might say no. That, that's the first assumption. They might say no, and at which point then I'm going to look like a fool. Um, and then the second is, if they do come, I'm not really sure that anything would happen, and I'm not really sure that it'll make a difference. Um, I think there's a little bit of, as well, I don't want them to think less of me, um, but there's nothing that I can do about that. You've kind of got to get over that. Um, but one of the things that stood out in this is that... There is a story of somebody who is initially sceptical of Jesus. And a lot of people in society are sceptical. And, and I think there has been a season where sort of scepticism about faith um, has been very, very prolific. There was some very, very famous atheists um, who talked a lot about, uh, about this. So people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and this kind of thing. And there was this conversation in culture that faith had kind of died. God, was, God is dead, was what they declared. But that conversation has actually started to dissipate. And what we're seeing in culture nowadays is an openness again to spirituality, to faith. People are more open. But what we get here is a skeptic. And um, I, love, I love his, his uh, response, Nathaniel, in verse 46. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? As Nathaniel says. I mean... That's I don't know I don't know if we can call it racist, but it's definitely judgmental um, of of people from Nazareth. Um, but what was his problem? Why why was he so grumpy about it? Well, I'm guessing. I mean, I, I know that Nazar the Nazarenes were looked down upon in in society of that time. Uh, to think that something good would come out of that um, is almost countercultural. Um, it's very telling of who Jesus is. Obviously, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We've just celebrated that, but lived and grew up in Nazareth. Um, and um, in someone coming from Nazareth, they would it would have been an unlikely place for the person that was going to save the Jewish people, the people of Israel. They were waiting for a, a king, a prophet. And Philip uh, says this, We have found that the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It was the way out of Roman rule. They were living under occupation. The Romans were, were taxing them highly. They were treating them badly. And Nathaniel was obviously thinking, well, how is somebody from this lowly place going to overturn such a strong and powerful enemy? And uh, he, he just thought, well, nothing's going to help. Um, he'd made his mind up on things. And I think there was the time when in our society, people had already made their mind up on faith. It was like, well, it's, um, you're, you're Christian, that's you and I'm perhaps not, and that's me. But I personally don't think that some people have ever explored it, and they've never given it a chance. And some people are sceptical, but I do think more and more people are seeking, seeking questions. The last few years has disrupted our foundations. 
we th- there was this sort of myth in society that we were moving towards progress or we were moving towards something. And for a lot of people, that meant losing faith. But I believe, and I think what we see and have seen, is that actually without faith, we will never, ever see peace in this world. Without Jesus, the bringer of peace, we will never see anything like a vision of humanity restored, creation restored, people uh, reconciled together. And um, we, we feel like actually for a lot of people, they are skeptical, but there is an openness starting. And if people are open, then I guess for us, our challenge is let's just show them. Let's invite them. Let's say, come and see. Come and see what it's like for yourself. Come and make a judgment for yourself. Give it a go. And um, this is why we, we think that Alpha is a great thing. Uh, it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but we try and make it so that everybody might enjoy uh, this environment, that they can explore the Christian faith and give it a go. Actually assess it. Try and see it in its fullness for what it is. Because many are seeking answers. And actually, um, a few years ago, there was a, a study um, done by CPAS called Talking Jesus. And they sort of, they talked to a lot of non-Christians as well as Christians about talking about faith. And they were seeing that things had started to change from what it would have been 10 or 15 years ago. And actually, 45% of people who'd become Christian had come to faith through an invitation from a friend an invitation to something. Um, and that was the way they got in. For others, it might have been miraculous, you know, things, uh, I guess, stuff bumping into someone different on the street or whatever it was. But 45% of people in church said it was, they came because they were invited. And I th- so I, I guess my question for us this morning is, are we open to that? Would we invite our friends, our family to come to church? Why not? What's the thing that's going on there? What's under the surface? Um, so, that's my first point, is who, who, who should you share your invite with? Who are you going to invite? And um, what we see from this is then that Jesus is expecting Nathaniel. Um, it's kind of this moment where Nathaniel comes and he's like, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. I've been expecting you. And he says something which is quite interesting in verse 47. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, Sort of on a straight reading of that, you might think, oh, Nathaniel is obviously a pure person. He's very honest. And it might be that he was very honest and he, he had no deceit. But it's very likely there's a hidden meaning in that phrase that Jesus is referring to the Old Testament, Genesis uh, 27, where um, Esau and Jacob uh, were sort of uh, wrestling over the um, over the blessing. And uh, Esau was uh, deceived by Jacob. Jacob uh, stole the blessing, as it were. And, um, and so he was sort of known as a deceiver. There was a, a bit of deception in that. But it was Jacob's blessed people who would be blessed. And he went on to be named Israel, which the nation was formed after. And so Jesus, in saying that there is no guile in you, is probably drawing in Nathaniel's brain, you're thinking about your nation. You're thinking about the nation, Jacob's nation, this nation, Israel, this nation that would be promised to be blessed. But right now, it feels like it's being taken over. And so he was hinting at this promise. And so it was probably the first thing of Nathaniel to think, oh, this guy Jesus knows a little bit about me. He knows my heart. And so he meets him on the issue, but then he goes past that. And um, he uh, he says, how do you know me? 
Jesus says, and he said, and G, G, uh, sorry, Nathaniel says, Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, we don't know what that means. It might be that literally Nathaniel was standing waiting under a fig tree um, before Philip came and called him. And so Jesus saying, I know that you are standing under a fig tree is like a supernatural word of knowledge for Nathaniel, which is pretty amazing. And I think that's probably what we should take it as, that actually that was, that was what happened. It was a miracle. And Nathaniel says, oh, wow, you know something about my life. You've seen this. You're, you're real. You're supernatural. But he, there's another part of it where sitting under a fig tree has imagery of somebody who ponders the scriptures, somebody who wonders about the story of Israel, who might be thinking and aware of the prophets. And so when Jesus says, I know that you're a thinker, I know that you're thinking about these things, he's saying, I know that you're skeptical. I know that you're skeptical, but I also know you. And it's funny that he, he scoffed and sort of kind of Nathaniel sort of rolls his eyes at Jesus just as actually I think quite a lot of people do at Christianity today. They scoff and roll their eyes and go, oh, well. Um, but he ends up being impacted by Jesus, knowing that Jesus knows him. And you see, I think for a lot of people, their expectation of church isn't this. It isn't, it isn't sort of lots of people and hubbub of energy and life and, and all of you amazing people. It's of churches closing and of churches being judgmental, of churches being unwelcoming, of churches, churches dying out. Um, but actually, we know that God is alive. He is moving amongst so many churches, not just this one. And he is doing new things all over the place. And so I guess for us, when we invite others, we're allowing their expectations to be exceeded because their expectations are pretty much down here. And, and I feel like when I was invited to church, my expectation was, well, nothing's going to change. So I'll just, I'll just come along and, and, and see what happens. And so if people's expectations are down here, it's pretty easy for us to exceed them and to think, actually, you are so welcome to invite people, to let them know that they are so, so so, so welcome in church and that we're not that weird. We're, we're a little bit weird in, in a good way, I hope. Um, but, you know, the, but we're not, we, it's not embarrassing. We would like church to be a place that when people bring their friends and family, that they would be welcomed and received and that they would feel like, actually, oh, I could be a part of this. And so for, for us today, if you're thinking, well, I, I would never invite my mum or my friend or whoever it is, because I'm, I'm nervous about what would happen if they came. Well, I guess one of the things that we see in this part and in this scripture is that actually we can trust God with those that are even sceptical, with those that are perhaps not where we want them to be with faith. Perhaps it's you, perhaps you're not where you think you should be, or perhaps you're not really sure where you are. Well, we trust God has a journey and a story for you, just like he does for Nathaniel. And he knows you and he knows your friends and family. He knows their story. He knows their journey. He knows if they were standing under a fig tree, although I highly doubt it. And so 
If you're worried about them not finding faith or judging it and thinking it's weird, I guess the thing to do is just to trust God with them. And that takes faith. That takes to step out and say, actually, I'm going to trust that God is going to move in their life because he loves them even more than we do. And that brings us back, I think, to that start uh, of the invitation of Jesus. Because the invitation of Jesus is not, a, is not just a kind of, if you want to, I'm over here. You're, you're very welcome to follow me. Jesus takes the initiative. He steps out to invite, to call us home. And, and um, in, in Luke's gospel, in, in chapter 15 and throughout the parables, we see lots of stories of um, the... Uh, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, also known as the prodigal son. I love these stories of those that are seemingly on the outside invited in. And a line uh, from the story of the prodigal son, a verse sticks out to me, uh, which says, but while he was still a long way off, talking about the prodigal son, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, the father initiates that welcome. He's, he's looking out. He's looking out. Jesus is on the move in our city, in our friends and family, inviting them. And what I found is when I responded to the invite of my friend and I responded to the invitation of God, it wasn't that I had found Jesus and I'd been looking around and I found him. It was that Jesus had found me and he'd called me. He'd invited me. He'd welcome me in. And it was his initiative that I just responded to. All I had to do was respond. And so for Nathaniel, where he starts to talk a little bit confusingly about the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Um, I don't know if anybody picked that up in verse 50. And you might be thinking, what on earth is he talking about? The angels of God. Well, he's referring to Jacob again, where Jacob dreams of the ladder of the angels of God descending up and down at the place of Bethel, the place where God would rest. And what Jesus says is that you'll see greater things than just that one place having God's presence. And what he means is the spirit will be released in all of those who believe in him. The spirit will go out and be with everybody. And so as he talks about this ladder, he's talking about God's presence being with his people. And so for so many people where the topic seems almost like it's a, a logic question, it's a can I get my head around this? It stops being that at some point, and it becomes a heart question of actually, does God know me? Does God care about me? And I think the way that sometimes we meet with God isn't, uh, well, sometimes it is a, a sort of intellectual pursuit. It's a, I've wrestled with the questions. I've wrestled with the, you know, the idea that there was a God who could design the universe, that such an intricate uh, system that is created to make the universe happen, that actually a God is, is the thing that makes, makes the most sense to me. Some people, that is that. But I think for so many others, it's also an emotional response. It's a, it's a logical, but it's also an emotional response to say, actually, God cares about me. He cares and loves me. He loves every single person, but he knows me. He knows where I've failed. He knows where I've messed up. 
He knows where I just haven't, I can't get my head around this and I can't understand this. He knows all of that stuff. And he doesn't judge you and push you away. He welcomes you and says, yeah, you're welcome here. Bring all that. I know all that. I know those things that you don't, dis- don't agree with or you don't understand. Come as you are. And so that cynicism of that skepticism that we sometimes see where people are like, well, I'm not even going to give it the light of day, is changed because something happens in our hearts and we become more open, we become searching, we become sort of seeking God. Because, you know, God is not just an answer in a textbook. He's a person that we get to know. And we see in this story of Nathaniel that he comes with questions. He comes skeptical, but he leaves knowing the person of Jesus, the person who will love him and show him and guide him and teach him as a follower of him. And so if, if this morning you're thinking, I'm still not sure, I'm still trying to find answers, then I'd encourage you, why not come on Alpha? We'd love to have you with us um, to explore that. But a big part of Alpha is we have a day uh, called the Alpha Day. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, the topic on that day is the Holy Spirit. We look at that gift of the Spirit. And we welcome the Spirit to come and move in our lives. So a lot of it is talking and processing and thinking. But a big part of finding faith is emotional and restorative. And um, it's spiritual. It's a spiritual thing we're doing. It's not just... Uh, academic or practical. And so this morning, if you're, if you're wondering, if you're searching, go to the cross, go to Jesus, come to Alpha, explore it. But also if you're thinking, actually, how do I step out? Trust that God is going to be moving in the hearts of your friends and family. He is already stepping out. But for us here, We know that we need God's spirit and his presence with us. And so in a moment, we're going to pray for that. So should we stand together? And I'm going to pray and uh, the band are going to come up. Um, So let's invite his presence now. So, Father, we, we thank you that you have invited us. And we thank you that as you invite us, we open ourselves to you. We respond by welcoming you in our hearts. And I just want to give anybody who wants a bit of time to welcome God in your heart right now, I want to give you a chance to do that, to respond to his invitation in your life. Those things, that spiritual thirst or hunger can be quenched by him. And so we're going to just give a bit of time to welcome his spirit in our lives, to invite his presence. And if this is the first time, or perhaps uh, just you need another time to recommit your life to him, then I'd love to pray a prayer that you can follow along with, which is really simple. It's, it's, a, it's a teaspoon prayer, T-S-P. Um, so it's a thank you, um, it's a sorry, and it's a please. So thank you, sorry, please. And we're going to thank God um, for who he is, the Lord and Saviour. Um, but we're going to say sorry for the things that we've done. And then we're going to say please 
to welcome him into our lives and to say, please come. So if you'd like to pray that in your heart, feel free to do that. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord of the universe who holds everything in your hands, but yet you care so much about us that you would send your son Jesus into the world to die for us, that we could know you and have a relationship with you and that we would live for eternity with you through your cross. And Father, we're sorry, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that have hurt others or hurt you. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive me, that you would forgive us, and that you would come into our lives as our Lord and Saviour, and that you would guide us forward together. Amen.